0: How many of you guys have enjoyed the life of Joseph? I mean, come on, it's it's just been a a trajectory of of so many illustrations of of who Jesus was. Um, Time and time again, we see it in every single chapter, everything that we go through, um, how what he does and the display of his life, it just shows our Savior every single time over and over And so I'm going to give a small recap of last week, but I don't want to spend too much time there because chapter 47, even though it's not a long chapter, it's an on-time chapter. And why do I say that is because you're going to see that what this chapter speaks about, it is pretty much exactly what we're going through at this moment. And I'm talking about as a whole, as a nation. Uh, This chapter couldn't have been more on time um, as it is that landed on this Sabbath right after the inauguration of a new president, um, right after so many things have already been put into, into government and so many things are, are being spoken about. We're going to see what the Word of God says about a time as this, like we're living on. And so last week we saw that we kind of zoomed out from the life of Joseph uh, as we were looking at Joseph for the last six or seven chapters, and we kind of zoomed out. And uh, started looking at Joseph, Not actually not at Joseph, but as the nation of Israel in, in its totality, right? Uh, we, we saw that they left the promised land, Canaan, and went to Egypt. And every time we speak of them leaving the promised land and going somewhere else, we always speak about them going down. I need you guys to understand that. Whenever we speak about the promised land, The promised land is always above. As a matter of fact, the promised land where, where where it's located is actually one of the highest places in all the earth as far as altitude. So there's no coincidence that whenever the Bible speaks about them leaving the promised land and going somewhere else, it always says about going downward. Now, you may look at that in many different ways, and you can, obviously, Egypt was not the best place for the children of Israel, for them to go. We knew that it was foretold, and it was going to be a place where they will become slaves. But even then, it was something that God had prophetically spoken about. And so when God speaks a word, it needs to come to pass. No matter whether we like it or not, no no matter whether we understand it or not, it needs to come to pass. And so there are certain things in life that we go through that we're not going to like, um, we're not going to welcome, but they're necessary. And this part of scripture where the, where, where the promise, where, where um, the children of Israel were to where, where they were going was necessary. Were they going to like it? Absolutely not. I'm sure being slave for 400 years was not a good thing they were looking forward to. I mean, at this point, they still don't know what's going to take place, but Jacob knew. I'm sure Jacob knew because his father knew, and I'm sure his father knew because his grandfather knew, and if you guys wonder who I'm talking about, we're talking about obviously Isaac and Abraham. Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Abraham was the grandfather, so they knew because it was something that was told to Abraham by God himself, and so I'm sure Abraham shared this with Isaac, and we know that Jacob was Isaac's favorite, and so he shared it. I'm pretty sure at one point in time with him. So Jacob is aware of what's going to take place, but he's so concerned about Joseph, Joseph, his favorite son from his favorite wife, that he doesn't care, but he needs to see him. And Joseph, at this point, we know that carts were sent to him because he was an older man. Uh, Scripture says that he was about 130 years old, which you say, wow, that's really old. But considering to his father and to his grandfather, he was still a baby. (laughs) But there was carts, there was favor shown to Jacob to be brought to Egypt for specific reasons. But what I want you guys to understand is this, as we looked Of the blessing that's about to come for Israel as a nation. Let's not miss that Egypt has been also blessed. Who have they been blessed by? Because of Joseph, not because of Pharaoh. It was Joseph that was placed in a certain position and because of the direction that he guided Egypt and the things that he did, that was the reason why Egypt flourished and became a prosperous nation, not because of Pharaoh. Even though Pharaoh seemed to be the most powerful man of all Egypt, every time they referred to, to, to one of them, they always seemed to refer to Joseph. Every time somebody came to Pharaoh, said, go see Joseph. And they said, go see Joseph. Go see Joseph. Wait a second. If you're the most powerful man of all Egypt, I should be coming to you for answers. Pharaoh understood. He did not have the answers. Even though he was considered the most powerful man of all Egypt, he did not have the answers, but Joseph did. A Hebrew boy did have all the answers. And what does all this do? This is all due to the sovereignty of God, which is not, listen, which is not weaponized against us, but utilized for us. What do I mean by that? There are aspects in life and situation that God withholds things from happening to us and through those same things, teaches us something and utilizes us for our benefit. Or isn't the famine used for the nation of Israel? We can grasp these things because our minds are limited in understanding when God is trying to show something and teach something. But God knows better. God knows higher. And when you can begin, like I said earlier, to grasp that these things that we go through in life are just temporary, you will see the final picture always works in your favor. That's why scripture is so precise. And that's why Romans 8.28 is probably one of the most known scriptures. And if you don't know what it means, it says, All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. things, Not just some. Not just a few. Not a lot. All things. Whether you understand it at this moment in time or not, they're there for your good. And eventually they're going to be utilized by God in your favor. Amen. Well, we see that in the nation of Israel, and we've been seeing that in the life of Joseph for quite some time now. We know he was sold as a slave at the age of 17. He's much older now. And in the whole life of Joseph, we've seen it time after time, God used the position that he was in for his benefit. God sold as a slave got brought to Egypt. You say, well, why would you bring Joseph to Egypt? Well, see, the problem Joseph was brought to Egypt is because Joseph needed to prepare the way for the nation. Oh, but wait a second, pastor, he was thrown in jail. Yes, he was thrown in jail, but through the fact that he was thrown in jail, he was able to, to, um, to describe these two dreams to, do, to these two guys that were also thrown in jail by Pharaoh. And because of these two dreams, one of the guys survived, and we know that because he survived, he told Pharaoh, hey, by the way, there's a Hebrew boy that knows how to describe dreams. Bring them to me. I have a dream that nobody here can describe to me. They can't tell me what it means. They can't, nobody here has discernment on this dream. And we know that all the wise men and everybody was brought in, in, into the courts of Pharaoh, and nobody can describe, nobody had discernment of the dream." But this Hebrew boy. Mm-hmm. So God utilized everything, as much pain as he went through. Mm-hmm. If we can remember, not one time did Joseph complain. Yeah. Not once. And we spend all day, every day complaining because things are not working out our way. Come on. Mm-hmm. Hello? Been there. We spend all day complaining, but God, this doesn't work. You you told me to do this, and I don't see it working. Continue to do it. No, but you know, I've done it for quite some time now. It doesn't work. Continue to do it. But Lord, it's been three months. It's been six months. It doesn't seem to work. you sure this is for me? God says, continue to work at it. Continue to work at it. It could be a year. It could be two years. It could be 15 years. How long did it take for Joseph? He was sold as a slave at 17. When he rose to power, he was 30. 13 years passed. But it worked. Hmm. But it worked. Come on, it worked. God has a specific time for everything. A precise time for everything. A lot of the times we get so desperate because we want things so bad. But if you would just pause and ask God, if this is for me, give it to me now. If not, hold it. Give it to me when I'm ready. Because if God gives us something and we're not ready for it, we'll mess it up. Time and time again. Time and time again. But God was so precise that he utilized everything that he needed to, to utilize to bless the nation of Israel. Now, in chapter 47, there are five provisions in this text that God uses. Listen to me closely. (coughs) There are five provisions in this text that God uses to sustain the nation of Israel while he prepares them to eventually go back to the promised land. Five things that he uses to sustain them while he prepares them. Very important to keep that in mind. Now you say, well, one question we need to have in mind is, before we go to chapter 47 is why would Pharaoh why would Pharaoh show favor to the nation of Israel? They don't bring anything to the table. He has everything he needs in Egypt. They're the ones lacking. He's the one with abundance. Why would he show favor to the nation of Israel? Because it was the God of Israel who used Joseph to keep him alive, as well as everybody in Egypt. It was the God of Israel who kept this master plan behind the scenes to make it work. Because, see, when we know about things and we get involved, we mess them up. But when God orchestrates something and he keeps it hidden from us, and little by little he gives us peace and peace and peace, and and they become this huge Picasso in our lives, and we don't know about it, that's when it works. And so the God of Israel said, little by little, I'm going to feed you. And I'm going to give Joseph the wisdom that he needs to fulfill what I'm going to do coming forward in a couple of years. Because there's a famine, but I'm over the famine. So it was the God of Israel who prepared everything behind the scenes. That's the reason why Pharaoh showed favor to the nation of Israel. The God of Israel, the God of Joseph. Genesis forty-seven. Go with me there, please. We're going to read from verse one through six. When I tell you this is a chapter that's on time, this is a chapter that's on time. Amen. Genesis forty-seven, verse one, it says, "Then Joseph went and told." Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all they possess, have come down from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. Remember last, last week, we spoke about the land of Goshen. That's where the place where they were, they were given by Pharaoh. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, why? What is your occupation? What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell, that word dwell, we'll speak about in a minute, to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen, Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. Not to me. Don't miss this. Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your fathers and your brother dwell in the best of the land, and let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Let's pause there for a second. If you can recall what Joseph told his brothers to say in the previous chapter. Remember, Joseph in the previous chapter sort of gave us a picture of an intercessor. He, He went to his brothers and his father and said, this is what you have to say when you go before Pharaoh. And we understood that at the end of chapter 46, it said that that shepherds were an abomination to Egyptians. They wanted nothing to do with them. They didn't mix with them. They didn't eat with them. They didn't party with them. They didn't do anything with them. They wanted none of them around. But it's interesting that it was the same shepherds that were being brought into Egypt, and it was the same shepherds that would go before Pharaoh, and it was the same shepherds that were being blessed by Pharaoh, not only by some piece of land, but by the best of the land in Egypt. It's interesting how God works. We read scripture and we're just like, wait a second, this is kind of contradicting itself. No, scripture does not contradict itself. When you dissect scripture, you will understand why things take place and why things happen. Also, remember, Scripture is not in chronological order. that's That's up here for some of you, but if you continue to study the Word, you understand what I mean by that. Not every story that you read in the chapter goes right along with the one that's coming after. For that, you need to study a little bit longer. You need to go a little bit deeper into the Word to be able to discern those things. And so Joseph here tells his brothers in chapter 46, listen, when you go before Pharaoh, he don't want nothing to do with you. This is what you need to say. And it gives us a display of who Yeshua was. He's our intercessor. Again, we spoke about that when we pray to God in his name when he looks down. He doesn't see us, but he sees his son. Thus the reason why favor and mercy and grace is poured upon us. Not because of your good deeds, not because you dress nice, not because you say fancy words. No, it's because he sees his son. And because of the fact that he sees his son and he cares so much for his son and for what his son did, he pours out the best. Not just some things, but the best. Or who here has not experienced the best of God? Because every time we ask something of God, God gives us more and above than anything we can ever ask. Because he is the God of abundance. He's a merciful God. He's an all-loving God. And he wants nothing but the best for us. That's the reason. And so Joseph tells his brothers and his father, listen, go before him, tell him your shepherds. He's going to tell you that he wants nothing to do with you. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that he says, they came for you, Joseph. Here we see the division, again, by Pharaoh saying, I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm gonna bless you, but we can't mix. You guys are an abomination to us. Wow. Wow. But it was the same division that God used to give them what? To give them the best of the land, <laughs> to push them away towards the best. Now, where the famine was, but the best of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Here they come before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, no, you came to Joseph, but hey, Joseph, by the way, give them the best. Take them to Goshen, the best of the the land, and give them also, by the way, don't just give them the land, but if you find any competent among them, bring them, because I'm going to offer them a job as well. By the way, everybody else is starving. There's a famine in the land. This is the second year of the famine. There's still five more years of this severe famine that's going to go through the land, and it's going to sweep up everything. And we're going to see in chapter 47 how it literally sweeps everything. But in the midst, God uses what seems bad to the naked eye, something to prosper the nation of israel if you guys remember last week we spoke and we said well how can these 70 people come down to egypt and then become slaves for 400 years but if you remember after the 400 years it wasn't 70 people yes. That's right. there was millions of people that came out of this so there was some sort of accommodation that god makes here's where it begins God begins to make accommodations so they can begin to multiply. So when they multiply, he can take them back to the promised land of Canaan to fulfill the prophecy that God spoke about way back in Genesis 15. So what seems bad at first, it's a blessing for others. They didn't come for me. They came for you, Joseph. I don't want nothing to do with them. But by the way, yeah, just get, take them, take them. Take your fathers and your brothers that have come to you to the land of Egypt is before you. Give them the best of the land. I don't want them to mingle with everybody else that's starving. I want them to, for you to take them to Goshen, and give them the best. I don't, I don't want none of them to struggle. Amazing. Now, speaking of the word dwell, we see it mentioned three times in the first six verses. This word dwell, also sojourned, what it means, means there's no permanent place. It's temporary. This place that the, uh, that the Israelites find themselves in in Egypt, even though it's a blessed land in Goshen, it is a temporary place. We know that they're not going to live here forever. They're going to be here for a long period of time. But this is not their final destination. Eventually, God is going to take them back to the promised land. So they're dwelling. They're sojourned. Again, this is a prophecy spoken by God. Your people will be foreigners in a foreign land. This is the foreign land. This is where they're foreigners. But I will be with them. Remember last week we spoke about that Jacob was afraid to leave Canaan because during that time people thought that gods were very territorial. So if he left Canaan, he thought that he would be out of the will of God or out of the blessing of God, but God assures him, he goes, I will go with you and I will bring you back. So dwelling, sojourn, the Greek word for this is goar. It's spelled G-U-W-R. And if you guys can recall back the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac and the life of Jacob, All three patriarchs have been dwellers. They've been sojourners. None of them ever set roots in a specific place. None of them. As a matter of fact, the only one that owned a piece of land was Abraham, where he bought the the land from Melchizedek when he came across the land of Beersheba, where he lays, where Sarah dies, where Jacob I mean, where, where Isaac is, where Rebecca is, eventually where Jacob will be. Five. It is the only land owned by all three patriarchs. They were all sojourners. They went from place to place to place, never setting root. You know why? Because all three understood that this place is not their final destination. This earth is not our final destination. This is just a walkthrough for us. We're here now and we have to make the best of it, not just for ourselves, but for him, doing what he's called us to do. But this is not your final destination. This is not your final resting place. And so when you can begin to grasp and understand that, you will know that whatever you go through in this life, in this earth, has an expiration. No matter how hard the issue may be, it has an expiration. No matter how tough the sickness may be, it has an expiration. No matter what it is that you're going through, it has an expiration. Because God is in control, and this is not our final resting place. Begin to understand that, and you will get quicker through your issues in life. Because a lot of us delay in the problems in life ourselves because we think this is it. This is what God has for me. I have to deal with it. It's not. It is not. This is what you're going through, but he is the one that you're going to be in front of. And so when you understand that, the quicker you get through it. The quicker you will surpass. They understood that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob understood that. None of them saw the prophecy that God gave fulfilled. None of them. They all died in faith. Mm -hmm. The book of Hebrews talks about it. They all died in faith. Amen, come on. They didn't see the fulfillment. Mm -hmm. None of them. They all died in faith because they understood that this was not their final resting place. Now, again, Pharaoh directs himself to Joseph about his brothers and his father. He says, no, they came from you. I don't want nothing to do with them. But take them to the land of Goshen, by the way. That's the best land that we have here, and they will flourish there. They will be good there. They will be taken care of there. Not only that, by the way, if there's some guys that you know that are competent, bring them out because I want to offer them a job. So these are the first two provisions that I spoke about. First one, God gives them the best land to live in here is a nation that brings nothing to the table of pharaoh yet they receive everything from pharaoh they bring nothing but receive everything come on how many times have we come to the table of god with nothing but god gives us everything number one number two he gives them work in the midst of a famine Everybody's starving, everybody's going crazy. Oh, what's going on now? Come on. That's right. Look around you. What's going on? There's this massive pandemic where people, 14 million people, I heard yesterday. 14 million people are in the point of eviction and foreclosure on their houses. 14 million because they've lost their jobs and they're surviving on what the government is giving them. Mm. So obviously, there's an extensive lack going on right now. It may not be a severe famine, but I want you to look at it spiritually of what's going on now to what's going on in chapter 47. They're very similar. Very similar. We can look at this famine as a pandemic. We can look at it as a pandemic. It came across the land... And it swept not just Egypt, but Canaan and all the surrounding areas. What did Corona do? It has swept all across the world, wiping out everything. That's just 14 million people here in the US without work. There's millions more across the world. So we can kind of associate this pandemic with this famine. Yet, Yet, Pharaoh says, give them the best of the land. Yet, God says, I will give you the best of my land. There may be a a, a famine out there. There may be a lack out there. But for the children of Israel, for the children of God, there will be no lack. Because I'm a God of abundance. And says, there's no lack in my house, there will be no lack in your house. Talk about on point. So he gives them the best of the land, and he gives them work in the midst of a famine. Let's continue to read, 47, verse 7. And it says, Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob. This is, this is going to blow your mind. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob <laughs> blessed Pharaoh. Time out. Amen. Wait a second. Jacob is 130 at this point. Jacob is a nobody, or so. Pharaoh is the most powerful man, not only in all Egypt, but in all the land. This is the only dude that has food, that has any provision or any finances to be able to provide to everyone around. Why is Jacob blessing Pharaoh? Shouldn't it be the other way around, Pharaoh blessing Jacob? Pharaoh understands something at this point, and thus the reason why he allows Jacob to bless him. He understands that the God of Israel, the God of Joseph, is the same God of Jacob. And so therefore, if the same God of Israel has blessed Joseph, then this old man must be a blessed man. There is something that he has that I don't have. There's something that he has that I don't have. Look what Hebrews 7.7 7 says. And without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hebrews 7, 7. 7, 7, That's interesting. But in this scripture, I thought Pharaoh was the greater. Nope. See, when God chooses somebody... When God appoints somebody, it doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter your, your, your intelligence. It doesn't matter. When God appoints somebody, it is God that is above everything else. So God, and we've heard them thousands of times, that he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen. Time and time again, we've heard this. This scripture applies to that a hundred percent. How many people have not gone to other people in higher in, in higher authority or in higher positions and given a word because God has used them and because of this word, this timely word, things have come to pass. Here we see it. God uses Jacob to bless Pharaoh. You say, why would Jacob bless Pharaoh? Yes, I don't understand that either, but guess what? It was God that is, was behind it. And the reason why Jacob blessed Pharaoh, which I believe was, it was just uh, 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 an attitude of gratitude that he was showing for what Pharaoh had just finished giving to them. Mm-hmm. Or didn't Pharaoh give him the best of the land? As a matter of fact, in Scripture, Jacob is the only man that blesses a Pharaoh. Or a person of this status. And you'll say, I don't understand that. Why would something like that happen? The way I see it, it was just an action of gratitude shown by Jacob for what he had just finished receiving. He was compelled to bless Pharaoh. You with me? 47, verse 8. It says, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? So picture this for a second. Here's Jacob, 130 years old, comes over to Pharaoh and says, I am going to bless you. And Pharaoh says, who is this old man coming over here to bless me? See, the problem was that during this time, Egyptians didn't live this long. Pharaoh was actually a younger person during this time. So when he saw Jacob, this old man comes over from Canaan and and, and blesses him, he's taken back. He says, who is this old man? How old are you, dude? (laughs) Pharaoh was was in a moment of awe. He didn't know how to react. It kind of caught him by surprise the same way the sons of Jacob were caught by surprise When Joseph asked them about their father and their brothers, remember that? They were like, uh, I don't know what to answer. Yeah, we do have a father. And yeah, yeah, we do have more brothers. And Jacob says, why would you do this to me? And remember Judah said, uh, we were just being honest? Jacob is just being honest. So he says, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage, that word pilgrimage is the same word as dwelling. It's the same word as sojourn. It's the same word as goar, the Greek word that we just spoke about. It says, are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their Pilgrimage. Here we see Jacob describe. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and went out from before Pharaoh. It's interesting because he blessed them not once but twice. Not only did he bless them twice, but he here he describes. He says these are nothing compared to my father and my grandfather. He says it right there, 130 years old. He says that's nothing, man. I'm a young buck. You should have seen my father and my grandfather. I'm a teenager next to them. So again, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. He says, once he blesses him, he leaves from his presence. When something is repeated in the Bible, guys, there is importance. There's importance. The word dwelling, we saw it was repeated over and over and over. Now we see in a matter of three verses, we see that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Again, here is Pharaoh acknowledging the God of Israel. Now Pharaoh's not the most powerful man on Egypt. he realizes that there is someone above him. That's what that means. By him letting this Hebrew man come and bless him, he is acknowledging that there is someone above him. And that someone that's above him is the God of Israel. Now it says that Jacob said that few and evil were the years of his life. Abraham was 175 years old when he died. Isaac was 180 years old when he died. So this that Jacob kind of shows here, that his life on earth is, and, and, and this walk that he's showing, he says that they're few and they're evil. Think about that for a second. He's kind of describing his life of, up to now. He said, I've had very few years. I'm only 130 years old. But in my sojourn, in my pilgrimage, in my dwelling, there's been evil involved in my life. And some of, some of us might read that and say, well, why would Jacob be acknowledging the difficult times, in other words, that he's, that he's gone through in life? Because when Jacob says this here in Scripture, it shows us that nowhere in the Bible does it say that life, once we receive Yeshua as our Savior, will be easy. Mm-hmm. Nowhere. That's right. Nowhere. So he's saying in my 130 years of life, man, I have gone through stuff. We're going to go through stuff. But in his 130 years of life, God has never left them. Amen. God has sustained them. God has provided for them the same way God will sustain you and God will provide for you. But this life is not easy. The Bible does not tell us that the life will be easy. But it's rewarding. And that's what we need to focus on. The reward. The final destination. The outcome of everything. Always working in our favor. Time and time again. We see that by the description of Jacob. Now, the question is, did any of these patriarchs experience here on earth issues because of, because of a lack of faith? Did any of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob experience any lack or any issues here on earth through their life because of a lack of faith? Could have been at times. We know they had some doubt from time to time. There were some fears from time to time. But the bigger question is this: Did Jesus experience lack in this life here on Earth, experience issues and trials here on Earth for a lack of faith? No. He went through hell while he was here. I mean, it, it couldn't have gotten worse than what it did to him. But it wasn't because of a lack of faith. That his life describes us what our life will, go, will be once we're here. There will be trials. There will be pain. There will be hurt. There will be agony. But the outcome. Amen. The outcome is what we need to focus on. Jacob is saying, I've lived 130 years, and man, I've gone through some stuff, but I'm still standing. God still has me here. And as a matter of fact, he's brought me to Egypt because there is nothing to eat over in Canaan. So therefore, he continues to provide for me, even though my 130 years have not been easy. Wow, what a faithful God that he continues to sustain us. Time and time again, in the midst of a, of a pandemic, in the midst of, of lack out there, God continues to provide. Yes, God continues to provide and provide abundantly. Amen. Because if we can be honest, in the midst of this, a lot of us have gathered more possessions and have become richer. And I'm not only meaning finances and everything. While well, others have decreased. It is interesting that the children of Israel left Canaan where they had nothing, came to Egypt and gained everything. Gained a lot more than what they possibly had in Canaan because they had to leave because there was a lack. So I mean now they're here in Egypt and they've gained more possessions and more of everything, more of the best. We see God time, time again... Provide and, sustained. Provide and sustain. Provide and sustain. Amen. Genesis forty-seven, verse eleven, says, "And Joseph situated his father and his brothers, and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread." according to the numbers and their families. Stop there for a second. Here is Joseph taking them to Goshen, to the best of the land, but not only does he take them there, we saw that earlier Pharaoh offers a job. Not only does Pharaoh offer a job, but now we see that Joseph had gathered before the famine, that God told him to gather, here is Joseph Providing. It doesn't say that Joseph is providing for everyone in Egypt. It says that Joseph took his father and his brothers to the land of Goshen, to the best of the land, gave them the best of the land, and gave them bread according to each person in the family, meaning everybody ate. There was food for everybody and some. We see provision through the intercessor. Come on. We see provision by Jesus as our intercessor every time we're in need of something. Because God knows what's to come. So he has preserved what we need. He has preserved what we need. Amazing. Amazing. So we see here that not only the nation of Israel is given the best place to live, but it's also given food. Not only given food, but given food for free. And you say, well, what does that matter? We're about to see how much that matters. They are given food for free. By who? Joseph. The second in command in all of Egypt. Even though there was a a severe famine, God made accommodations for the nation of Israel. He's always one step ahead. God is always one step ahead. He knows, remember, our life today is God's yesterday. What you're living today is God's yesterday. What you will live tomorrow is also God's yesterday. He's always one step ahead of us. Why? Because he goes before us preparing the way. He goes before us preparing the path that we should follow. The reason why sometimes we don't follow that path is because we go off our own emotions and our own decisions. That's the reason why you may experience some sort of lack in your life. Not because there's slack in the presence and in the path of God. There's never any. But due to the fact that we stray ourselves away and we make our own decisions, we experience those things. But God always goes a step ahead. So here he gives them the best of the land and he gives them food and he gives it to them for free. And he makes accommodations. 47 verse 13. We're going to read for a little bit now. It says, now there was no bread. Listen to this. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe. Wait a second. I thought Joseph just finished giving a bunch of bread to the Israelites. That's a stash. Joseph had a stash. (laughs) No, he didn't have a stash. That was what he had collected over the years before the famine arrived. But God knew what the nation of Israel needed in order to sustain itself to be able to get back to the promised land. So he says, here you go. Here's some bread. Go to the land of Goshen, outside of where everything is. Goshen and Egypt are in two different places, actually. They're not in the same place. They're actually quite a bit of a, uh, of a walk from each other. So he says, go live there so you will not experience what's going on here. He even sends them to a secured place this is Pharaoh, by the way. He's the one that kicked them out of Egypt. The nation comes. He says, no, no, no. You guys, you can't stay here. Go to the best, man. Amen. Go far away. I, I don't want you guys to experience or see what's going to happen in Egypt. There was no bread. There was no bread. The famine was severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. You see, this famine is across the land. This pandemic is across the land. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So not only did Joseph gather all the grain, but he was stashing money as well. There's a saying that says, in the midst of a, 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 of a recession, what's king? They say cash is king. I say God is king. Amen. Because it was God that used Joseph in the midst of famine. Money didn't make a difference. All the money in the world wouldn't have saved these people. It was the wisdom that God gave Joseph of the things to do. To be prepared for the famine that was coming. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt. Watch this. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt. And in the land of Canaan. All the Egyptians came to Joseph and said give us bread. For why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. This is in my house where I say when my kids approach me and they say, dad, but you know, I don't have this or that. Or, I need that, but I don't have enough for this and this and that. And this is when I come in and I say, sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> my wife is laughing because she says, you know, she knows I use that all the time because if I would give everything my kids ask me, if I would go broke, I would find myself in the midst of a famine. <laughs> This is where Joseph and these people are approaching Joseph. And I'm, jo- I'm thinking Joseph is saying, sounds like a personal problem. I got bread. I got money. But they approach him and said, why should we die? The money that we had has failed us. We don't even have enough. Also, Joseph, it says here that Joseph brought all the money to the house of Pharaoh. We see honesty. Remember, Pharaoh is laying back in his own place. Joseph is the one that's running all the land. They're coming to Joseph. They're not going to Pharaoh saying, I want to buy bread. No. Pharaoh says, go to Joseph. Mm -hmm. So here they come to Joseph and they're giving him the money. Joseph could have easily said, you know what? Let me start stashing some money for my people because I know eventually... They're going to have to get out of this place. This is just a temporary place. This is a dwelling place. This is not their final destination. So I'm going to stash some money, and I'm going to give the money to them on the down low so Pharaoh won't know about it. But he doesn't do that. All the money that comes in, he takes it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh becomes very prosperous. Very, very prosperous. It starts with the money. We're going to see what happens after that. Verse 16 says, Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock. If the money has gone. So first the money has gone. The Egyptians are coming and say, Man, we ran out of money. Joseph says, Okay, you ran out of money? I'll take your livestock. Bring me all the animals, and I'll give you bread for the animals. I'll give you food so you can live. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. I mean, this guy wiped every all these Egyptians out. (laughs) Thus, he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Joseph took the money, he took their livestock. When that year had ended, so this is the third year, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herd of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. They lost the money, they lost the livestock. Now all they have left is their lives and their lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land Buy us, and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh? Give us seed, that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Wait a second. Here, the Egyptians have lost all their money. They lost all their livestock. And now they're offering their life and their land. Isn't this the same land and the same people that plowed the land to be able to have enough for the famine? How the tables have turned. How the tables have turned for these Egyptians. Why? I don't want nothing to do with these shepherds. I don't want nothing to do with them. They're an abomination to me. Wow. I don't want nothing to do this. This is what I said earlier, that God does not weaponize but utilize His thing to bless the opposite. He took from the Egyptians and is given to the Israelites for free. Of wow. For free. I'm not charging you a single penny. I'm not taking your livestock. I don't want your life or your lands back at Canaan. Keep all that. I'm going to give you food for free. They have rejected you. I will be your supplier. Lean to me, and I will be the one that vast, that your nets will overflow. Let them reject you. Let them think you're an abomination. They did it to my son. They rejected him. They thought he was about an abomination. They thought he was, he was speaking blasphemy. But through the ones that have accepted him, I have supplied. I will supply for you as well. <laughs> Who were the Egyptians buying the food from? Pharaoh? No, from Joseph, from the Hebrew. (laughs) And, and, And so we read this and we say, man, Joseph was really shrewd. I mean, this guy took everything from these people. No, he wasn't being shrewd. He was just doing what his position called to do. And he was just being obedient to what he had been called to do. Prior to all of this, this is where the master plan of God comes into play. God used Joseph, a Hebrew boy, sold as a slave, 13, 14, 15 years before, to be the one that will keep the land of Israel, the nation of Israel afloat. God has used his son to keep all of us afloat. When we begin to acknowledge who Yeshua is and who he is in our lives, he is the only one that can keep us afloat. It's not the measly scraps that the government gives you. Because everybody's so concerned about the next stimulus plan. What is the next stimulus plan going to bring me? And what is the next stimulus going to bring me? How much money are they going to give me? Don't be concerned about that. Money runs out. Money runs out. The livestock, they ran out. What did they have left? Their lives and their land. That's it. And even that Joseph took. He said, that's all you have left? I'll take it as well. Watch. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. How did he buy the land of Egypt? With the same money that he had gotten from them earlier. You want to wait for the next stimulus plan? The government will use the next stimulus plan against you. They'll be so concerned about the stimulus plan. They're not your provider. That's right. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate the rations which Pharaoh had given them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Pause for a second. Who are the ones suffering in all of this? Who are the ones running out of money? Who are the ones running out of livestock? Who are the ones running out of land? Who are the ones selling their life? The Egyptians, the ones that live in the land, the ones that lived in the place where supposedly there was enough grain for. But the foreigners that just finished coming in are now living in the best of the land in abundance, not selling a single penny, a single livestock and a single land. A shift of and a change of possessions. That is what's taking place. Yes. But you have to believe God for it. Amen. Amen. God will take from, from those that have a lot that don't believe to give to those to, th- that do believe in him. Yes. To live in the abundance and in the best of the land. A change of possessions. Don't be fooled by the stimulus, please. Those are scraps. Those are scraps, guys. That money will come and you'll waste it before it even hits your bank account. I can tell you that, my wife already wasted the last two (laughs) minutes. 12, <laughs> Proverbs 12:22 Proverbs 12:22 Proverbs 12:22 Proverbs 13:22 No, 12:22 <laughs> Not 13 There was an honesty in the life of Joseph and sometimes we overlook on that honesty. But look what Scripture says about those that are not honest. Proverbs 12, says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. Because of the honesty of Joseph, God preserved the nation of Israel. They were at his mercy in this land of Egypt. They were foreigners. This is not their land. So they were at the mercy of God. What is God going to do with us? Is God going to preserve us? Is God going to sustain us in this foreign land? We had possessions in Canaan. They ran out because of the famine. So is God going to continue to be faithful? Yes. Yes. Yes, God will continue to be faithful. Amen. But it all started because of one man. And that was Joseph. The honesty of Joseph. It all started because of Joshua. The honesty and truthful heart of Joshua. That is what you and I are preserved. That's why you and I are sustained. Lying lips are an abomination. Be careful next time you want to say that little small white lie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Scripture says that lying is an abomination to the Lord. Oh, but it's meaningless. It's just a joke. It's an abomination. Wow. And I could use that scripture in so many different ways. But I think we've beaten up across the head already at Christmas, and we passed Christmas. This part of scripture that we're reading 47 also describes how government is. And we've been talking about the whole stimulus thing. This part of scripture describes how government is. They're shrewd. And things are done. And we think that they're in our benefit and in reality the government is, is using them against you. But we were so blinded because they paint such a pretty picture for us. We get so caught up. Oh, the government is giving us money. Wow, they care about us. No, they don't. No, they don't. They're just trying to maintain the front that they're presenting. That's all they're doing. I'm not going to say the person's name, but there was a person in government when this whole thing started with, with the corona and stuff like that where millions of people got left without jobs. He started buying a lot of real estate. And he was buying real estate by the masses. When I mean real estate, apartment buildings, houses, and everything. He was actually happy that people were losing the jobs because he was getting his, making himself richer and wealthier because of the amount of houses and people that we're losing. That's your government. That's your government. Oh, but we're going to give you a couple of stimulus plans here, so just kind of keep sh- everybody quiet. think we're doing something good. This part of Scripture speaks about government. I'm not going to get too much into politics. I don't want to do that. But if you put your trust in men, men will always fail you. The Egyptians put their trust in who? In Pharaoh. Did they benefit off of that? No. No. No, because God used a Hebrew boy to make sure that even though the Egyptians were suffering, the people of Israel would not suffer. God will make sure that his children and his chosen generation and that remnant, those set-apart people, don't suffer. There are worse times coming most likely in this year. Don't think everything's going to get better just like that because Biden is promising a thousand things. There are worse times possibly coming this year. But those that are grounded those that believe in Yeshua, that those set apart people will not experience the lack of, but instead will be in the abundance of God. Don't look at your surroundings. Stop. Stop focusing on what the news says. Be concerned about what God says. Jeremiah seventeen verse five through eight. Jeremiah seventeen. It's a book that's very dear to me. Jeremiah seventeen, verse five through eight says, Thus says the Lord, Curse is the man. Please don't miss this, because we stopped very early on this scripture whenever we read it. Thus says the Lord, curse is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. This is what happens when you put your trust in man. When you put your trust in man, your heart departs from the Lord, because you're no longer leaning on the Lord for your provision, but on man. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. People in the end of times will call bad good and good bad. As long as your heart is departed from the Lord, you will not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited blessed is the man who trusts in the lord Amen. and whose hope is the lord Amen. for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when he comes but its leaf will be green Amen. you guys remember that evergreen tree Amen. and will be not anxious in the year of drought that we will not be anxious Amen. in the midst of the famine Amen. we will not be anxious in the midst of a pandemic nor will cease from yielding fruit. You will not lack anything. I don't care how big this famine gets. Amen. Every day they say cases are surging and surging and surging. They're growing. People are dying, dying, dying. Every day it gets worse. But for those that remain in the hand of God, for those that do not put their, hand, their, their trust in man, those will not experience any lack. Amen. Oh. Hallelujah. They will not cease yielding fruit. Come on, man. That's yeah. awesome. That's, yeah. That scripture is amazing. Yeah. Genesis 47, verse 23. It says, And Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look. Here is seed for you. I took your land with the money that you gave me, but I'm going to be nice. I'm going to give you some seed. And you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Those of you that are good in math, one-fifth is what? 20%. 20%. So you say, "Well, man, Joseph was being shrewd. He took all these people's money, he took their livestock, he he took their land. And now he's just giving them some seeds. And on top of that, he says, "Hey, by the way, whatever your crops grow, I want 20% of it for Pharaoh." Wow. But if you remember when you do your taxes or throughout the year, yes, yes. most of us are taxed in a bracket of 30% or higher. So 20%, I think Joseph was being merciful. <laughs> I want to be put in that bracket. Now, this can also be looked in a different way. Joseph says, out of your abundance, out of your 100%, 20% goes to Pharaoh. You live off of 80. It's interesting when we give our tithe, God says, I just want 10%. You can live off an 80. Yeah, we complain about 10%. Well, that's too much, Lord. I got bills to pay. Your money runs out. Your livestock runs out. Everything runs out. But the Lord never runs out. Continue to put your trust in man and let me know how far you get in life. Because according to scripture, all that stuff runs out. But those that put their trust in the Lord, they will not cease yielding fruit. Shall come to pass that in the harvest time you will give one fifth to Pharaoh, four fifth you shall be your own, 80%. As the seed for the field and for your food, for those who are on your household, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved us, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests, only which did not become pharaohs. Joseph made it a law. He said, you give 20% and keep 80. God says, I put this in your court. I just ask for 10. You keep 90. I'm not making it a law. It's a command of mine. But at the end of the day, it's your heart that he looks at. He doesn't force you to do anything. Joseph said, you better give 20% to Pharaoh. God says, these are just my commands, but you do what you want with it. Joseph said, you have to give 20%. And you can keep the 80. From the seeds that I gave you back, on the money that I took from you that I bought your lands. God has not taken anything from us. He gives us everything and some. Verse 27. says, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt and in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. <laughs> Wait a second. Everybody's starving. Everybody's lost money. Everybody's lost livestock. They lost their land. But the nation of Israel, they're bawling. I mean, these people are multiplying and growing in possessions. How ironic is that? How ironic is that? That God brings the nation of Israel into a foreign land and those that live there are experiencing a famine, but those that come in are multiplied in possessions. Here we see the mercy of God and the grace of God poured over over the nation of Israel. He sustained them. He sustained them. Third provision was, God gave them food while the rest of the world had slim pickings. So God continued to give food to the nation of Israel while everybody else was slim pickings. They were begging for food. They were trying to negotiate anything they had To get food. And here is the nation of Israel flourishing. Not losing a single penny. No livestock. No land. As a matter of fact, they gain more. Fourth provision. God increased their possessions while everyone else was decreasing. Decreasing. The Israelites were increasing while the Egyptians were decreasing. Theologians say that this is where the resentment of the Egyptians came towards the nation of Israel. While they don't like them. Why they dislike them because of this that took place many, many years ago. That it was a Hebrew boy that came into their land, took everything that they owned, and gave it back to his people. And because of this, there is conflict between these two nations. They don't like each other. Mm-hmm. Sorry for Egypt. Can't help you there. It's the law of God. It's the way of God. That's right. He's above everything. Yeah, Fifth provision. God increased the nation of Israel in numbers just as he had promised. Here, the prophecy, again, in Genesis 15 is fulfilled. He increased the nation of Israel in numbers. Amen. Watch. Mm-hmm. Let's read, and we'll finish with this, 20, 27 to 31. It says, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt and in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Again, they multiplied, they grew in numbers, not only in possessions. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. Very key. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. Remember, when he got to Egypt, he was 130. He ended up living another 17 years in Egypt. So the Israelites were in Egypt for 17 years, multiplying in possessions, growing in numbers, while everybody else was starving. So the length length of of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly. I'm not going to describe that too much. (laughs) But if you guys remember, this is very similar to what Abraham did to his servant when he told them to go look for a wife For Isaac, he said, put your hand under my thigh. This was a custom that they used to do back then. Thank God they don't do it now. But this was kind of like an an oath that they would do. Uh, This is an oath that they would promise to this person that they were going to do what this person was asking them to do. Now, this was just no ordinary oath. This was a very solemn oath. If you guys remember, this was first brought into Scripture by Abraham. Not just by anybody. It was brought by Abraham. And what Abraham was asking from his servants, it was a wife for his son. Not just anybody. So it was first brought by Abraham into Scripture with the importance of bringing a wife for his son Isaac. So this is a very solemn oath. Here we see it again in Scripture Jacob asking who? His son, Joseph. That's interesting because Jacob is asking Joseph this after he lived for 17 years in Egypt. That 17 is very significant. You have to read Scripture. When you read Scripture, you have to look at the numbers, guys. Numbers tell you a lot. You know, I love going into numbers. Numbers have a great significance. 17 symbolizes the power to go through obstacles. Listen to this. 17 symbolizes the power to go through obstacles and also the unity with God and ability to withstand in the hard times. But, then those that do will be rewarded with eternal life. What's interesting is that Joseph, when he was first sold as a slave, he was 17, 17 years old. <laughs> Joseph endured trials and obstacles until he was given a higher position because of the unity and the obedience he had to God. Eventually, he would be given eternal life. Now, it's funny that in the first 17 years, the father cared for the son. But in the last 17 years, the son cares for the father. This is also very interesting because this is in the commandments of the Lord. which is the fourth commandment and if you don't know what it says it says to honor your father and your mother Jacob Jacob cared for Joseph Here we see Joseph caring for Jacob Now, there was, again, on verse 29, we see this great oath bought by Abraham back then to his servant Eliezer. We see it again here with Jacob and Joseph. He says, he called his son and said to him, now, if I have found favor in your your sight. It kind of almost makes it seem as if Jacob is humbling himself to Joseph. Please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me here in Egypt, but let me die with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, then Jacob says to Joseph, then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. So we see this solemn oath again done by Jacob and Joseph. But also, what's interesting is that, see, God is so perfect. If you guys remember a couple of chapters ago, when all the brothers of, of Joseph came together, when they came into Egypt, it says that they bowed before Joseph. Remember, we spent two chapters on that. And we saw that it was, I believe it was chapter 45. 45? Chapter 45, those brothers came into the presence of Joseph, but they didn't bow. Benjamin was missing. Then we saw in the following chapter that they all came, and thus it says that they all bowed before Joseph. If you guys remember, when God gave the visions to Joseph, he gave him two visions. He gave him two dreams. He said, your brothers will bow before you, and also your father will bow before you. And we saw in that same chapter that after the brothers bowed to him, it was spoken into existence that his brother says, My father, your servant, is alive back in Canaan. And that's when the carts were sent over. Now we see the fulfillment of that promise. Verse 30. But let me lie with my fathers, and you will carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said, verse 31. Then he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself at the bed. Mm -hmm. Here we see the prophecy again of what God showed, the visions that God showed Joseph way back when, when he was a young boy, came to pass. And sometimes we see, this is a great example, guys, of how we get desperate of when God speaks about something, and we see it year after year after year after year, and it doesn't come to pass. This happened right at the end of Jacob's life. Jacob dies at the age of 147. It happened right at the end of Jacob's life. Why do I tell you this? Because what God has spoken over your life is definitely going to come to pass. Do not lose hope. Have patience. It may happen right before you leave this earth, but it's going to happen. Don't get desperate for the things that God has promised you. They will come to pass. You need to endure the same way Joseph endured, the same way Jacob endured, but at the end of his life, it came to pass. Prophecy Fulfilled. Amen. God is faithful Amen. and on time. Amen. It didn't need to happen until now. Before it wouldn't have meant anything. If, 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 if Jacob would have bowed to Joseph, maybe in the land of Canaan, there would be no significance. But now, where Joseph is placed in a place of authority... Now, Jacob bows. Now, Jacob bows. Now is significant because Joseph is in a place of authority, not only physically, but spiritually. God places him in a place where now Jacob bows to his son. It will be the same way in the end, where his son returns, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. In due time, in due season, we cannot get desperate. We cannot be people across the head with the Bible. We have to share the word of God with love and compassion the same way Joshua did. He came and shared, and if they didn't receive it, it said that he dusted himself, he dusted his sandals, and he moved on. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Dust your sandals off and keep walking, because you're definitely walking in the right direction. They will be the ones to later on regret their decisions. This... It's not your final destination. This is your temporary dwelling place. We're all sojourners. Come on. All of us are sojourners. The patriarchs didn't plant roots. The patriarchs didn't plant roots. Don't plant roots in a place that you don't belong. finish with this. In verse 47, in chapter 47, sorry, we see both fulfillments of God's prophecies come to pass. We see his brothers bowing down to him in the previous chapter, and we see his father bowing down to him in this chapter. We see that what God speaks over our lives comes to pass in due time. We must remain like Joseph. We must remain obedient in the midst of the trials. We must remain patient in the midst of the trials. Because it's not only obedience, but it is patience that is a fruit of the Spirit that comes together with obedience that with that we will multiply and flourish while everything else is decreasing. And I'm not talking about just possessions. I'm not talking about just possessions. I'm talking about your soul. I'm talking about your soul because that is what God is concerned about. And scripture clearly says, you will prosper just as your soul prospers. But too much we're concerned about possessions that we leave our soul behind. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. This is an on-time chapter for what we're living in right now. It's an on-time word for what we're living in right now. Everything that's happening out there was already spoken about. There's nothing new. There's nothing new. The Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. On, yeah. Everything has been spoken about. These are just all fulfillments of everything that is written in the Bible. You know, yesterday we were having a conversation in our house uh, um, with my daughter. And she says, oh, there's, there's something that, that they're saying that the, uh, the, the moon is rusting that the tip of the moon on the top is growing red, and so is the bottom. And without us even saying anything, she goes, I know. In the end of time, it says that the room will become like blood before the second coming of Yeshua. It's already started. It's already started. If you guys think that we can play church for another 5, 10, 15, 20 years, go ahead and do so. But clearly, Revelation says, do not be caught lukewarm. Because God will spit you out of his mouth. Those that continue to play church are going to have a rude awakening when he returns. So I don't want to be caught. I don't want to be caught not being aware. I don't want to be caught not being equipped. I want to make sure that if he returns in the next hour, that I am prepared to leave. But in the midst, meanwhile, we prepare. Go ahead and stand, church. Go ahead and close your eyes for a second, please. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, Father. This was an on time chapter for what we're living, this was an on time word for what.